You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. And good morning, everybody. It is great to see everybody here. I'm so honored that you took the time out of uh, New Year's uh, Eve to be at church and be around some of the finest people in the world sitting right next to you. Okay, this is where you look at them and go, yeah, that's you, you know, like, yeah. And laughing did not, was not a very convincing part of the conversation there. But listen, today we're uh, starting a series, even though it's uh, the last day of 2023, we're launching this called Intentional Faith, and it'll run through the entire month of January, and it'll address a variety of things. And one of the points that we're trying to make in this series is this. A lot of times in our culture, people will practice their faith out of a sense of convenience, You know, it works, it's nice and easy, it fits into the schedule. But when you go to the scripture, you find out our faith is not a faith of convenience. It's a faith of decision making. It's a faith that you choose to do. And even when there are obstacles, you choose to address those obstacles because it's important to you to be able to live your life the way God wants. So this is more than just a a faith of convenience. It's a faith that's one of decision. And we're gonna look at a passage where Jesus talks about this. And not only will I speak on it today, but I'll be speaking on it in the, in the, few, in the coming weeks. And it's out of the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. So would everybody stand for the reading of the word this morning? Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Let's read this together. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Now, Jesus, as we look at the word, I pray that it fills our mind, not just with information, but we pray that it influences the values that we hold in our heart. We ask 
that we be more in alignment with what you want us to be by the end of this message than where we are at this very second. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Be seated. So we're looking at this issue called intentional faith. Meaning what? Making a decision and knowing what it is that it takes to have a follow through. There are times in our, in our life, and this is one of those, where it's easy to sit back in what I do call a recalibration. But the reason we do that is this, because if we fail to pause, reflect, and recalibrate our lives, this can lead to a powerless existence. If you're not careful, you'll find yourself what we call on the treadmill of life. It's already running. It's only about two to three feet long, and you're running hot and hard, and you're not really going anywhere. But all you know is, is you can't afford to stop. And, and sometimes in our calendar, we have what we have this time of see. There's natural times. The, the Bible doesn't say, hey, at New Year's, let's take some reevaluations. No, it doesn't say that. But the Bible does talk about pausing and having recalibration times. And for us, it's one of those natural things when you're looking at what we say, a, a new calendar, a new season of life, to look back and think through, hey, where have I gone? What have I done? And where am I going if I continue this moment? but you can't learn from your mistakes if you keep ignoring and denying them. Sometimes people just say, you just need to put your head down and burrow through it. And I'm going, yeah, there are some days that's bad advice. Because if you're headed the wrong way, doing the wrong thing, that's not going to work. You need to pause and go, what am I doing? And why am I doing it? And the other part is, what should I be expecting the outcomes to be with what I'm doing? Am I getting the outcomes that I'm looking for, that I desire, and that I want? But even on top of that, in the same manner, you can't learn from your successes if you don't know what produced them. Sometimes you pause not to say, what do I need to fix? Sometimes you pause to go, what do I need to keep doing? Because sometimes good things happen. And you want to go, I want to keep doing that. But if you don't reflect on what's contributing to it, then you're likely to never be able to have it happen again. And I know there's some people who would say this, I had a great year and I have no idea why I had a great year. I wish I knew what I did. And but can I just tell you, sometimes you just sit down and you go, it was God's grace, it was God's mercy. I need to lean into that more because it was God's grace and mercy last year that made last year such a blessing in my life. Yeah, I put a lot of effort and I did a lot of work, but a lot of stuff played out, not because I was some kind of genius. It played out well because God was merciful and God was gracious. And so what? You want to lean into that more. That, I think that can change how you pray, that God, I have intentions, I have desires, I want to grow, I want to develop, I want to see this, but I also understand that if you don't bless what I'm doing, my work is not going to get it done. And by the way, I hope you all feel this way. I never ask God to give me what I deserve. <laughs> How many are with me on that one? I'm always like, Lord, I'm leaning into your grace and mercy that you don't give me what I deserve. Be gracious, be merciful. I'm not saying there's not seasons where I don't do good and, and there's, th you know, but you know, overall you're like, hey, the Bible says for all the sin and fallen short of the glory of God. You do know that's you too. 
And so, you know, you just kind of go, hey, I, I'm going to do the best I can. I, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to focus and, and get things done and be able to. But, you know, God, in the end, I'm under no illusion. If you don't bless what I do, it goes nowhere. So in the end, it comes back to, God, I'd like to continue to experience the mercy and grace I had in 2023. And I'd like to see that continue in my life. That's why I said, sometimes you got to go, why did you have success? And a lot of times you'll sit down and figure out you weren't near the genius that you thought you were. There's a lot of times you find yourself in the right place at the right time. And you weren't smart enough to do that. The world calls it coincidence. In the Bible, we call it God's divine direction. Okay, his hand upon your life. So a couple other things is this that I've noticed. Don't confuse busyness with purpose. You can be busy. Your calendar can be full. But if you're not careful, that doesn't mean that you're fulfilling purpose. In fact, that's the recipe for burnout. You get to doing things and you never think about what it is, why I'm doing what I'm doing. If it, you're not careful, this culture has a pace that it's willing to suck you in. And it will suck the life out of you and cast you aside. And you have to be aware that just because you're busy doesn't mean that you're living with purpose and that you're being productive. So again, hitting the pause button going, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? And how do I plan on doing it? And what do, do I need to adjust? What do I need to stay doing? And one of the things that I would highlight about any time in life, but as you look at this particular season of where we're getting ready to go into another year, if you haven't realized by looking at your life in 2023, you probably realize you're not near as good at predicting as you thought you were. Because the future has a way of showing up unannounced. Those are things that happened that weren't on your calendar. You had it planned. You were ready. You had it well prepared. And the future did not cooperate with your calendar. We had that. I'll do, I'll do, I, you know, sometimes people look at, well, Pastor Greg and Pastor Lisa, man, they got the perfect life. Yeah, right. <laughs> Can I tell you, it rains on us too. So, I mean, I, I could tell you a variety of stories. We have to work through stuff in life. It, stuff happens to us, and we have to work through it just like you do. And the future shows up unannounced. We didn't see it coming. Now, she'll tell you I'm the planner, okay? So I knew, was we were dealing with our house, we, we knew, I knew, and I convinced her, I said, we gotta get a new roof in 2023. I know that just sounds really hot and sexy. <laughs> but if we don't get some shingles on this place, we're gonna have other problems. So we had been saving over a period of time because I wasn't gonna do the finance thing. I shopped around for the roofers. I knew who I wanted I, and all those kinds of things. Got the deal, signed it, got it all scheduled. We got a new roof. I stood out in front of my house. Thought, man, those are the most awesome looking shingles I've ever seen in my life. And every man said, yeah. That was a chunk of change, but we had saved up for it. We were ready. See, I'm one of those, let's not let anything surprise us. Little did I know for the next three to four months, we'd have every surprise in the world that could hit us. We woke up, no hot water. In three to four months, we lost our water heater, had to get a new water heater. Our fridge went out. We had to get a new fridge. The dishwasher went out. We had to get a new dishwasher. 
the tires on my truck went bad. I had to get a whole new set of tires. All within a three to four month period, I had all new appliances. My wife came to me, she says, I take it that we don't have an emergency fund left. I said, baby, we ain't got nothing. <laughs> now see, as much as I forecast everything and was planning, you can't forecast, how many know your water heater doesn't say, hey, two more months. <laughs> you know, the fridge never says, hey, you got another month left. The dishwasher never gives you a heads up. The tires there was no heads up on those things. It was a bad set and it just went bad and I had to get a whole new set. And by the way, we were one week from leaving on vacation. I said, where do you think some of the vacation resources just went? Look at those hot looking tires. <laughs> Best looking tires on the I-95, man. And I say that, the future shows up unannounced. And you know what? You just adapt. You just figure it out. You live through it. And part of that, like I said, comes back to then then I need to be paying attention to my intentionality. What am I doing? How am I doing it? And how am I going to get there? Because even with all that, life is gonna throw stuff at you that you are unable to forecast. You couldn't do it. But yet, the future shows up unannounced. It has no regard for what you already had planned and how you were gonna do things in life. It just is there. So, we're gonna look at this this context because we read a scripture this morning that some of you go, man, those are some tough. If you're new to the bridge day, your first time, you're probably thinking, wow, what a scripture to read today. I wonder who is this preacher, this church, and what are they teaching? Well, let's just back it up. So one of the reasons that's a difficult verse for us to grab hold of is the fact that we don't take the time to set up the context so that we understand what we're reading. Because without the context, you go, wow, that's a weird set of verses. And you're probably thinking, I hope pastor explains it one day. Here you are. Here it is. So let's, let me, give, give me some time to set this up so that you can see what it's addressing. The Gospel of Luke was written around 60 to 63 AD. The reason it's important to set that up because it was the following year that the great Rome of fire happened in 64 AD. And this is when the Christians were all accused of setting Rome on fire and the great persecution broke out and they were in the arenas for the, you know, for the animals and for the gladiators and all kinds of things and the crosses. You know, all this kind of stuff started unfolding, okay? Uh, on top of it, Christianity was under great persecution in every venue and every city. Now, when Luke wrote his gospel, there was a, there was a sense that it was something was about to break with, with Christianity. In other words, they sensed this, this animosity towards them. And so some of this, I say, Luke's writing's actually prophetic. He was aware that this was on the way. But Luke emphasizes some interesting things in his gospel. He emphasizes the supernatural. He was a doctor. So he understood you do A and B, you get C. So the supernatural fascinated Luke. So that's consequently why you have the extended version of Jesus' birth going all the way back to John the Baptist because John's father couldn't speak and an angel shows up and an angel shows up to Mary and all these kinds. So he's into the super. So you see a lot of, quote, supernatural stuff that he records. He also records a lot of healings. I mean, he's a doctor, right? You're fascinated by the fact that Jesus can heal so many ailments that the doctors said they couldn't do anything about. He 
also records a lot of miracles, just stuff outside the healing realm. And again, he emphasizes, if you pay attention, Jesus's ministry to women because Jesus is a single Jewish guy. And yet you see Jesus bringing the gospel to the women that God is dealing directly with women. By the way, you look at the story, of you have the story of Mary, you have the story of Elizabeth, you have the story of the prophetess Anna. Does everybody get my drift there? He's emphasizing that God's activity is now available to women. And then he highlights a lot about how the gospel is available to the Gentiles. And then he also highlights a lot about the Holy Spirit. And after Luke, he wrote the book of Acts to show how the gospel in all these realms, Holy Spirit, all this is, so really you could call it Luke 1 and Luke 2. We're the ones who gave it the titles of Luke and Acts, okay? But really, Acts is a sequel to, to the gospel of Luke, okay? Acts is a sequel. So knowing all this, we come to this teaching that, that, that Luke includes, and it's a Jewish story. Now, I said he's writing to Gentiles, right? So why does he borrow a story that was spoken up to the Jews? Jesus had a lot of stories that Luke could have captured. Why did he take the time to capture this particular one? So let me set up Luke chapter 14. It says that Jesus is at a prominent Pharisee's house. He's not at just a Pharisee's house. He's at a prominent Pharisee's house. One who has a lot of influence with the other Pharisees. While he's there, he gets into the teaching and he begins to talk about, isn't proper to heal on the Sabbath in verses one through six? Because they were trying to decide, if you heal on the Sabbath, are you working? And so, you know, that became a debate. And so Jesus taught on that. Then... In verses 7 through 14, he talks about this honor, parable of honor at the table. He said, you shouldn't walk into the room and walk to the prominent seat because if that was not meant for you, they will have to ask you to step down and you'll be embarrassed. You should always take another seat. And if the seat is meant for you, they will ask you and they will promote you and now you will be honored. So Jesus was talking about this honor factor. And finally, in verses 15 through 24, he talks about the great banquet where people were invited and they didn't show up. So it was said, then go into the highways and byways and invite those folks. And he's making a bridge there that the Jewish people have been invited, but they didn't show. So now we're going to go get the Gentiles because they'll come. Gentiles love free stuff. <laughs> and every Gentile out there said, there you go. You're a good Gentile. Right, so that's, what's, that's the dynamic that's going on here. Okay, so now we come to this particular story. He now says, let me talk to you about what it takes to be a disciple. So he set all this up, and he's talking about the Gentiles now being invited. And he says, but before you think this is good, I probably ought to talk to you about the cost of becoming a follower of Jesus. Now see, that, that's where suddenly as Americans, we hit the pause button, we're like, what? Yeah, Jesus says, you might wanna think this through. You might wanna think this out because in American Christianity, here's the pitfall we have to avoid. We sometimes think that I'm adding a portfolio of faith to a life that already has direction and momentum and meaning. I'm just bringing in the portfolio of faith and adding it. 
And Jesus says, no, I'm asking you to get rid of all the other portfolios and make this your portfolio. And see, that's where as Americans we go, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Get rid of all my portfolio. In other words, he wants everything that you do to flow from your relationship with him. He's not asking you to add him to your life. He's asking you to make him your life. Oh, well, what does that mean? Well, God's not telling you to go out and quit your jobs or quit school, none of that. But it's just understanding what is your life going to revolve around no matter what your job. Your, your, what, what are the values? What are your priorities? What are your commitments? Where does everything that you do, where does it flow from? See, where does it flow from? Is it because, well, you know, I want to make myself known. I want to get ahead. I want to be able to have a, a good portfolio of life, of finance, and all these kinds. See, there's nothing wrong with that stuff unless it's not flowing from your faith. Does that make sense? Yeah, God wants me to put a roof over my family's head. Yeah, God wants me to, to be able to be uh, 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 efficient in my finances, not just where I can take care of myself, my family, but even help other people. So I understand that. But if you're not careful, it's easy just to have a small portfolio of faith because you're so busy being you. And Jesus says, no, I want to be, I want you to be you while I'm flowing through you. And so this verse kind of rattles the cage with some of its strong language. And we're going to study this so that you have a better understanding. So we're just going to look at a few things today. Number one, read it out loud. There are some things that you don't learn until you... Notice it says large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, and we have the rest of this teaching and it's gonna take the whole month of January to unpack all those scriptures, okay? Because we're gonna slow this down and talk about my faith. What, what's the cost of my faith? What is, what is God, what is he asking of me in this? And you notice it all starts with this. They're, they're traveling with Jesus and now they get some of this teaching. And I'm sure there were some going, well, if I'd have known that on the, on, before this, I wouldn't have been traveling. <laughs> uh, you know, way to tell me now, you know, that I'm out and I'm here and I'm following and I'm traveling. And now you, can I tell you, you can't know everything on the front end before you commit. There are some things you don't learn until you commit. And some of you go, well, that sounds like a trap. No, I can use a very simple illustration in your life. Marriage. You thought you knew everything before you said, I do. Come on. I grew up with my wife. So, you know, we never had the awkward first date, like, tell me about yourself. All I did was say, hey, could you clarify this? Because we, you know, we knew each other's stories. Our families knew each other. So it was more about, I'd like you to clarify, because I already, I, already, I already knew what to bring up. And she knew what to bring up, Okay. And so by the time, we, you know, you say I do, we're like, you know, man, we, we, I mean, we did premarital counseling. We got it all, you know. And did you know I got married and found out there's things I didn't know about her? Unbelievable. How could we have that long of a relationship growing up together and there's still surprises? Come on, men. You said amen. Cowards. 
We've now been married for 40 years. Get ready to go on 41 here in a couple more months. And one of the things that's unique is, you know, sometimes this will happen. I'll start to make a decision and she'll say, why are you doing that? I said, well, it's because I thought that's what you wanted. She says, ask me. I said, you want that? No. <laughs> and you're like, how, after all this time, how could I miss it? How did I not know? See, after this many years of marriage, I already know how to Christmas shop. Hit a home run every time. You want to know the secret? Baby, what would you like for Christmas? <laughs> Those are the most, some of the most powerful words any man can learn in the English language surrounding Christmas. Baby, what would you like for Christmas? Come on, man, you know that, right? See, early on, I tried to be the magnificent guesser. And uh, her facial expressions always let me know the inadequacy of the gift. She was sweet about it. Oh, baby, that's nice. I said, well, your face isn't saying that right now. <laughs> there are some things you just don't know until you jump in. Some of you are trying to do too much homework on Jesus. You're down into the, the nitty gritty, and I'm just saying, Jesus is more than an academic resume. Some of you are looking at him that way. When I, I need this clarified, I need this. When I get that, I'll, can I just tell you, there's a lot of things about Jesus you're never gonna know until you start walking with him. The question you need to ask yourself is, do I know enough today to say, Jesus, I'm in? I'm in. I'm good. I'm good with who you are. I'm good with what you want. I'm good with what you want to do with my life. No, you haven't answered all my questions. No, I don't know everything I'm signing up for. No, I don't know where this is going to take me. But I know you well enough to know I need to trust you. I'm in. Some of you need to start following. And then you'll figure it out. You're thinking if I figure it out, I'll follow. No, you won't. Because you can't figure it out until you're in relationship with him. Amen? Number two, read it out loud. Following Jesus, it affects our relational world. That's what this scripture says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Notice it says cannot. Now you go, yeah, but... Uh, that's just like real awkward statements. What, what are we looking at here? Well, first of all, the word here, disciple, means a learner. Okay, I can understand that. I can, I, can, I can buy into that. But man, that word hate, are you kidding me? Isn't there a softer landing on this word? So let me give it to you. In, in, in one of the beauties about the New Testament being written in the Greek was the fact that many of their words, it's one word, one definition. It's not like the English word. It's not like the English world where you got one word and it's like the word run. The last time I checked, there were 63 definitions of the word run. And so you really got to pay attention. If you don't know the language, you got to pay attention to the context. And even then you might need to, if you're not real fluent in English, you got to go talk to somebody who's in English and say, can you explain to me which of the 63 definitions are we talking here? Okay, so the word hate here actually has two definitions, okay? If you look at it, there's two. It's one of the few words that has two. And one is the repulsive, I hate 
you know, I want nothing, the, the, the total dislike, that is one of the definitions. But the other definition that is used with this word means to love less, okay? So it's actually translated accurate because that is the word in the Greek. That's what it means. But it's one of the few Greek words that has two. And so you have to look at the context to arrive at the right, okay, what is he speaking about here? And this would be that context. It means... To love less. So God's saying this, I don't want to be another family member. I want to be the favorite. I want to be number one. I want all your relationships to flow from who I am. I want your relationship with me to define the relationships that are around you. As a mom or dad, let me tell you one of the most complimentary statements you can ever receive in your life. It's when one of your children tells somebody else, my dad, my mom is a Christian. It's the most complimentary thing that your kids know to tell somebody when a conversation develops. Yeah, what, what is with your parents? Why are your parents? Yeah, my, my parents are Christians. Do you realize what a validation that is? Because it says they've watched you at home and in spite of your imperfections and how many parents know we're all imperfect? They understand who you are and they can tell other people who you are. That's a proud mom and dad moment to have your kids tell others, my mom and dad are Christians. Walk tall, man, because it just told you that it took hold at home. Come on, say amen to that. Right. So it defines our relationships. Number three, last point, means nothing. Some of you are thinking, oh, he's going to wrap it up soon. No, this is like a really long one. Okay? Read it out loud. Following Jesus, self-denial. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Notice Jesus keeps love. He loves that phrase, cannot be my disciple. You notice that? He keeps throwing that in. What is he talking about? So, unfortunately, in our culture today, People go, well, it's, a sim- it's symbolism. No, he was actually like literal talking about this because persecutions were rising. And a few years after writing, writing this, the mass persecution of Christians would break out. There would be Christians who would be nailed on the cross, left to die. Others would be nailed to the cross and set on fire. So this was coming. And basically what Luke is saying is this, if presented with the cross, and they say, if you will deny him, that you can be free, or if you don't deny him, that you will be nailed to the cross. He's saying, not only do we expect you to be nailed to the cross, we actually expect you to carry it. Notice no amens on that one. That's why Jesus was saying, you might want to weigh this. Because there may become a day that you find yourselves in the position that if you don't deny Christ, they'll say, we're gonna nail you on the cross. And your response is supposed to be, where would you like me to carry it to?
The decision was not about whether to be nailed to the cross. The decision was, would you carry your own? And they said, offer it up. You'll carry it. You'll do it. Now, see, that's not something you decide on a whim. That's not emotionalism. You got to think that out because that was the real world that was unfolding in front of them. But notice what I said. It's self-denial. It's the ability to tell oneself, this is what I want to do. But having a will that says, even though my flesh wants to do this, I have the ability to tell myself, we're not doing this. We're going to do this. Self-denial is saying, nobody told me no, I told myself no, and I'm going to do this. So when you came in, you received, see the Bible has a lot of examples of self-denial. That's one of the things that Christians practice is we know it's, it's a discipline. And one of those you hand, when you were, came in, you should have received a card on fasting and a, and a prayer outline on a scripture. Now, if you didn't get it, that means we ran out. Because we, I didn't know we were going to have this many today. Oh, pastor, lack of faith. <laughs> what is fasting? So let me just say this. Fasting is one of those arenas that has been tainted and diluted by church traditions. Okay? Some people go, well, I'm just going to give up TV. That's my fast. Then I go, Wait, let me look at the biblical definition. Let me see if I can find TV you know, you look, abstinence from TV, is, I, I can't find that in the Bible. Well, I'm going to abstain from sugar. Let me see if that's in the Bible, abstain from sugar. Some people say, well, I'm going to abstain from meat as long as I can have my M&Ms. <laughs> see, abstain from meat. I don't know if the, see, let me just, you are faced with, so we are so inundated with this. Let me just say this. There's so much church tradition, the biblical definition has been lost. The biblical definition is this. I abstain from food, and when I would have been eating, I devote that time to prayer. How many, is that real simple, right? Okay, it's not, I'm gonna abstain from food and work through my lunch hour. No, that's called skipping lunch. Come on. We, we have to be careful of redefining biblical principles. We mean well. But we've got to be careful we don't run on church tradition versus the word. I can tell this is really resonating. So, you, fasting is when you say, this is my time to eat. I'm not going to eat, but I'm going to take that activity of eating and transfer it into prayer. It says that Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay? And he prayed. Okay? So he was substituting eating or he's substituting prayer instead of eating. Now, I'm not asking you to do it for 40 days, so just chill out and relax, okay? Some of you are going, where is he going with this? Just relax. So what does the Bible have to say? Well, you see a couple scriptures. In Ezra chapter 8, verse 21, there by the Hava Desert, or a canal, I proclaimed a fast. So he announced it. So that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all of our possessions. How many would like to have that for 2024? Okay, the rest of you are abnormal then. Yeah, who wouldn't say, God, I'd like a safe journey. I'd like you to bless my children, bless my possessions, bless my life. The Bible says that's one of the things that you fast for, you ask for. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse eight, it's actually a chapter, they have, they have diluted 
the meaning of fasting so bad that God, Isaiah 58 is a whole chapter devoted to fasting. Because by this time, Israel has taken it off the rails of what it was ever intended to be. So sometimes we have to be reminded here, okay? So it's a trap that just happens because our flesh wants to make it easy. Don't look at me like that. You know that. You start playing in the margins. How can I, you know, where's, where's the line? Okay. Isaiah 58, verse 6. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? See any of that in our society? I do. I want God to set them free. I don't want to see people live like that. I don't want them to go to church and walk out the same way that they walked in saying, well, I thought they would have an answer today, but it doesn't sound like it. I don't want, to peop- I don't want people to say, I tried the church and they couldn't help me. Breaks my heart. No, I, I, I want that to happen for them. Then you come to another scripture in Joel chapter one, verse 14. Declare a holy fast. See, there is a time to stand up and declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. There's a time to lift your voice as one. In other words, I, combining my fasting with other people has the ability to do so much more than what I would be able to accomplish by myself. So we gave you a prayer outline. And we're asking that you do this on Monday, January 15, 2024 through Sunday, February 4, 2024. We're asking you to choose the same day each week, okay? So maybe it's a Monday. Do three Mondays or three. See, I have found this. It's easier for me to get it in my routine and keep a particular day free. Secondly, we gave it to you in advance because that way you can defend the time. We all have people clamoring for appointments with us and it's easy to go. It's a lot easier for me to protect the time than it is to tell somebody why I need to move them off the schedule. So I protect it. I say, yeah, I can't can't do that day, but I can do this day. I can't do that time, but I can do this time. So we're trying to help you. So we also gave you this outline and it's based on Isaiah. And what we do here is we say, pray the scripture. Why? Because Jesus said, heaven and earth would pass away before anything in in his word would. So meaning this, if I pray the word, I'm good, right? So is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? If you look at that outline, if you have it, we we have prayer points for every verse, sometimes multiple pieces. This is something you can be praying. And it says here, I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke. I wanna praise him for being the God of justice and I wanna ask God to loose the chains of injustice. You say, okay, doesn't really resonate, but I can pray that. Well, let me tell you a couple, one particular story that will help you. There's two people in this congregation that 2023 was a pivotal year for them. One story I'm not able to share, the other one I'm able to share because he shared it with the young adults a couple weeks ago. And I'm gonna have to abbreviate the story in a great way to get it in the time we have left. 
But this, this guy was in his late 20s. He was in another county. He was a firefighter, had a great job. And then that dreaded day came a couple of years ago, somebody made an accusation against him. And the accusation was so strong and so believable that actions were taken against him. He lost his fire position. He was even incarcerated in jail for a few months because he was unable to get an attorney and bail and everything that is associated with this. And he said, man, I'm innocent, but my life is being wrecked and it's being ruined. But I'm telling you, I didn't do that. From that experience, he found the bridge. And again, he relayed the story. He said, listen, I want you to know I'm under accusation and this is what's going on. And I understand the protocols that have to be taken, but I'm just telling you, I didn't do it. But I understand you have to have more than that. And I said, tell me more. He did. So we stayed in touch. Pivotal moment for him. He said, Pastor, when I was sitting in jail, it starts playing on your mind. I started to believe what they said, even though I knew it was true. You hear it over and over and over. You start to believe it. And he finally said, maybe I did do it. Why don't I just cop to this so that we can just move on? It'll wreck my life, but at least I can get out of this holding pattern and move on. He had a guy in his jail cell who was Muslim who said, I thought you said you were a Christian. He said, I am. And he said, so you're telling me your God's not big enough to get you out of this jam. He said, man, that was my wake up moment. This last half of the year, the individual found themselves that made the accusations, the individual found themselves under some other accusations themselves, was involved with law enforcement. By the way, this is another county, okay, another county. And they took the phone of the individual and they had the right to go through the phone. And they found that everything that was said about this individual was false, it was a setup, it was a revenge. He was told, listen, he wasn't let go because of a lack of evidence, he was let go because he was innocent. And I sat with him one day when it all played out, I sat with him at Panera I said, tell me why you're not one of those angry people who is in the street burning people's cars, trashing the city, trashing law enforcement, doing all this, why aren't you one of those guys who's out there because you're the story that people say they're representing? He said, man, I can't do that. Not as a follower of Jesus. And he said, there was a lot of days I was like, God, where are you? I've lost everything. Where are you? And he just said, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't go there because it would deny my faith. We had another individual who was just vindicated after some strong accusations, not due to lack of evidence, innocent. Now, that's not, I'm not trying to ding anybody in, in, in any law enforcement profession, but you know as well as I do, things do happen in life, right? Praise Him for being that God knows who's guilty and God knows who's innocent. And you know what? I pray for the law enforcement people. Please, God, let them find the evidence. If a person is guilty, help them to find the evidence 
so this person doesn't skirt. But God, if this person is innocent, guide them to the evidence that will clear their name. Use our law enforcement. I don't pray against them. I pray for them because I believe God has put them there. Besides, I don't like the alternative of no law enforcement. I pray for them. I can give you a lot of reasons why you ought to pray and fast because some of the people that will be affected by your prayer, they're here. And there's a bunch of other items to pray for. But listen, there are people who are oppressed. There are people who are suffering injustice. There are people who have cords of yoke that they want to get out of and they just don't know how to break the habit. I know a God who can help them. And I want them to know the bridge knows who that God is. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet as we wrap the service up. Would you do that? I have a bunch more things I wanted to say and ran out of time. So now you're obligated to come back. So come on, can you lift your hands and praise him? He's a God of justice. Come on. Let's praise him for being a God who knows truth and he knows how to get it to the surface. But come on, let's praise him for that today. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask our church leadership and some of our connection group leaders to make their way forward. And as we wrap up the service, listen, there are some of you, like I said, you need to stop studying Jesus academically and you need to come into relationship. I want you to step into the aisle and come and tell somebody, I'm gonna accept Jesus today. Some of you, you might be suffering an injustice in your life and you know that God can do something. You need to come and ask God to be that God of justice. Some of you know people who are oppressed, some people who need deliverance. They have a yoke that they can't shake. Hey, you need to be a friend. You need to be the family member that comes and says, God, I believe that you can set them free and I'm asking for Jesus to do something. So as we sing, if you have a need you'd like prayer for, come on, make your way as we sing and then I'll dismiss, but come on, lift your voice. say the blessing and we'll go. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May he bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land and all your livestock be blessed. May he bless the work of your hands at home, at work, at church, in this community. May he bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant the enemies that rise up against you be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. 
May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see that you are called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. May he bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day. Oh, you faithful, dear. Oh, God, my